Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're here this week to supposedly talk about another embarrassing defeat, but we're really all about the intrigue, and we're prepared to once again discuss the world's most boring game of thrones which is happening behind the scenes at tottenham hotspur but before i go any further please don't forget to leave us a five-star review on itunes or spotify and follow us on twitter at wdr podcast that's wdr as in wheeler dealer radio now i am pleased to introduce my co-host as always this week uh, coming to us from these snow-capped condominiums of miami it is my shady possibly in hock to the mob lawyer brian ashlock brian uh have you learned dutch yet for next season uh no um i think we all know that the dutch speak excellent english um because their language is silly and um so i won't be learning to pronounce anybody's name or their silly language and that is why you are on this podcast uh and coming to us from the atl i'm sorry mrs jackson but he is for real it's ben daniels uh, ben, if a stadium full of Spurs fans were abusing me on television, would you comfort me on TV like Mrs. Levy did? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's disappointing. Yeah, sorry, Greg. Oh, well. I'm, well, this week, uh, uh, you know, in lieu I'm of... I'm surprised you forgot... I was just going to say, I'm surprised you forgot to take the opportunity to announce our new rebranding effort at Wheeler Dealer Radio since Harry Redknapp hasn't been manager in like 15 years and Wheeler Dealer is no, no longer relevant, we were thinking about just going by radio. And I'm surprised you didn't, you didn't announce that. People want to know. They're going to need to know how to find us. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm glad to get an opportunity to found out, find out what it's like being me, Ben. So. <laughs> uh- <laughs> This week, we are here to discuss uh, our embarrassing performance against Brentford, the apparently imminent arrival of Arn Slot. That's how we're going to pronounce it for now until we find out on the extra inch that we're doing it wrong. And uh, how Spurs are approaching next season before we get to some of your questions. But before we get into any of that, I would be remiss if I did not start with the one bright spot of the season. Um and that would be how them lot down the road are finishing off the year. Ben, I can't think of anyone better to lead off this discussion than you. Uh, how's married life these days? Man, it is so funny. All of the Arsenal fans in my life like are not even like fun to banter because it's like they lost the title this weekend. It's over. And they're all like, oh, yeah, we know. Like We lost weeks ago. It was like never ours to win. It was always... Man, so they had games in hand. Like it was, you know, this this isn't a surprise to anyone. They're all taking that posture that like we're just, you know, privileged to have fought the good fight, and it's like beneath them to like even be like sad about losing the title because they didn't lose anything. It's it's embarrassing. That's what 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 a bunch of losers. Do you know how angry I would be if what happened to Arsenal was happening to us? Like. <laughs> Like, how, how many irrational, like, G-chats I would have sent you calling for our manager's job? Like, like I, I would... Calling be, for his head. Yeah, I would have no perspective. I would have yeah, no... A fatwa on Mikel Arteta. Yes, exactly. Like, if this was Spurs, like, maybe in, like, six months, I could take a slightly more generous view of the whole thing. But if we spent, like, 200-some days... 94% of the season, I think? Yes. I would lose my fucking mind if we if we threw that away like say what you want about like whether or not spurs bottled it the years they finished like we didn't for the record yeah we didn't because you know what we were coming from behind both times and we were trying to play catch up with the leaders of the league we didn't throw away what was it eight point lead over manchester city like you know come on this is embarrassing and a club that like based their identity on throwing a holiday when we couldn't catch up to them anymore doesn't get to like act like things are hunky-dory. No, you threw this away. This was a bad job. You guys fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I mean, it's uh, it's nice, right? Like, um, just, you know, they're finishing second in, in a two-horse race. I mean, the only way it could be better is if, like, someone was going to catch them to, for second. Like, if, if United <laughs> or Newcastle could somehow get enough points to make Arsenal finish third, that would make it better. It's um, annoying that, like, the only game that they won recently was against Newcastle, because had they lost that game, it would have been a real possibility that they slipped third. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I it's, I'm like you guys, like, 94% of the season, and the gap between them and City was huge i mean it was bigger than the eight or nine points that it was in like january like there was a point in the season where city were kind of struggling to sort of get things together they looked disjointed we were all like oh is this the year that city doesn't do it like holland isn't working out is Grealish ever gonna figure out what to do blah 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 blah. and then you know they kind of came back from the world cup and just started crushing people but like before we went away for for the world cup like it was still an open question of whether they were going to get back there. And, you know, Arsenal had built up a pretty good sized lead. And yeah, to, to just kind of limp into the finish of the season this way. And, you know, it's it's <laughs> the way they've capitulated in some of these last few games. is uh, It's got to be really embarrassing for them. Like, I will say City have put together, like, a really remarkably impressive performance over the back half of the season. Like, they've just been immaculate. But Arsenal are also, like, playing worse than Ryan Mason Spurs right now. And that is not really what you can do and, like, still pretend like you are challenging for a title. I mean, Arsenal didn't have to hold serve. They just had to, I mean, they could afford to lose a game or two here or there. Even to City, it was just, like you said, their form has just gone out the window. I mean, they... There was like what two they weeks? They bottled. Two, I would. Yeah, say. two or three weeks in a row where they threw away two point leads and came away with a point or less. And it's, I, I think what bothers me is there's this sense of, and again, I'm coming at it from a very Spurs centric perspective, but there's this sense that, you know, we're Spurs are always somehow the butt of the joke. Like, we've had a bad season. We are getting sort of rightly dumped on by all by all sides for it. And, like, no one is talking this way about Chelsea, who have had a worse season than we've had. Like, aside from, like, they've had some bad nights in the Champions League, like, you know, everyone's just like, oh, they'll bring in Pochettino and spend some money and they'll get better. And that is, you know, maybe if Roman Abramovich was still running things, like, you'd be somewhat justified in saying that. But, like, absolutely not this year. And, you know, I feel like every time Spurs sort of come up short, whether it's, you know, because we shoot ourselves in the foot or just, you know, that's the way things go. Like, you know, like that season we finished second to Chelsea, you know, I don't think that was so much like, you know, what else are you going to do that year? Chelsea just like played out of their minds. You know, there's this sense of like everybody sort of takes their turn, taking chunks out of Spurs. But like, you know, this is what I see happen in Arsenal reminds me a lot of like Brendan Rodgers, like missed out on the Champions League on the last day to two garbage teams two years in a row. And all he got was like an Adam. Oh, you'll get him next time, Brendan. Like you did a good, what a good job you've done with Lester. Like you're building something special there. And I feel like Arteta is getting the same thing and not like you've probably thrown away Arsenal's best chance at a title in like recent in, in the next few years. You know, it's it's if this was us, we would just be, you know, I mean, they would be like shuddering. They would be tearing our stadium down if this was us. Uh, and they'd be talking about how we can never win anything and all of our players need to go to other clubs and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, I, I whatever. I, I don't I don't care. I you know, I think the, I do. I do. This bothers the shit out of me. Yeah. But like, I mean, you know, I, I think it would bother me more if. If we had if we had something to gain from from any of this, you know, like other than just like. Uh, you know, the the Ben being able to have uh, ammunition to make fun of his wife for and his and her, her family, like, that's great and all, but, like, we still suck. And, you know, we still have to address, you know, all our issues next season. And Arsenal very well may improve next year. Um, and, and who knows? Maybe we won't. And, uh, you know, I... That's awfully cynical. Yeah, well, I mean... I suppose we'll get into that later, but uh, like, why wouldn't we be cynical? Enjoy the moment. I mean, 
I think honestly, like this was already, you know, poised to be the worst season we've had in like a decade. First time missing Europe probably in 10 years. Um, that's all bad. And that is made so much worse by Arsenal winning the league. And now it's just like a normal bad season. A season that Arsenal have had about five times in the last five years, you know. So, like, I am going to take great pleasure in the fact that this season's misery was not compounded by Arsenal winning their first title in 20 years because that sucks. Especially, you know, knowing how close we came so many times and not getting over the line for them to fucking do it the first time of asking would have felt very bad. Um, But now I think you're right. Like, Man City are probably not going to stumble at the beginning of the season next year. Arsenal are probably not going to put together the insane luck of, you know, health and form that they did for half a season again. Uh, so, yeah, I'm glad we don't have that black mark on, like, the history of our lives. It, it is amazing if you think about it. Arsenal have had the kind of season they've had. We've had the kind of season we've had. And St. Totteringham's they passed without any notice virtually because I think that was probably the week where – it certainly, to me, felt like, ooh, the tide turned in the title race that week. And they, I think everybody knew Arsenal was probably going to lose it unless something changed. And it's kind of amazing we got away with, like, I, I don't know, Ben, maybe you had a different experience. But, like, I felt like we got away with it without Arsenal fans really rubbing it in. I mean, I think it's a hard thing to rub in anyway when it hasn't happened for so long. And, but, yeah, I mean, <laughs> them looking like blowing the title as it was happening. Uh, didn't help. And us being particularly bad also, like, took probably some of the joy out of it from there. And, like, if we were third or fourth, they, they probably still would have had a nice time with St. Tottenham's Day. But <laughs> we were just bad enough, and they were just slipping at the right time. I, I don't think that's true about Arsenal fans. I you think don't they're think? distracted by their own bad luck. Have you, have you had any interactions with your wife over this? Or is it just, like, you're just all not – you're just – like, like peace, like the detente has resumed. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, giving her too much. I give her brother shit, uh, but I don't really give her uh, too hard a time. Especially when I, it was, like, not necessarily certain that they were going to blow the title. I was, like, definitely keeping my powder dry because, like, I just didn't want to jinx it. Uh, but, yeah, just just some gentle ribbing. But, yeah, it's been, it's been better now, now that it's over. But like I said, it's it's ruined the fun now because it's like too late because they're like, Oh, you should have given me shit six weeks ago when like we actually lost the title. Now it doesn't, nothing happened. This oh, it's still good. Still we fine. On vacation. I don't know. I hope this is, this feels, I think, like I said, I would feel worse if this happened to us than what happened to us. Cause like, I feel like, like, I feel like that season against Chelsea almost, I don't know how you guys felt. I felt like it was only after the fact I realized how close we came just because of how sort of consistent Chelsea was. It, the Leicester season is the one that felt more like a missed opportunity in the moment. Um, you know, but in both cases, like you said, Brian, like we didn't just sort of like piss all, piss down our leg and throw it away like Arsenal have. So I'm yeah. glad the, that didn't happen to us. The meme of the time, the joke was, you know, we put the pressure on. And that's the thing. Yes. We were never in pole position. It was never our title. Was, we were always chasing and just trying to catch up and slipping, you know, in that chase. It was not a case where we were in first all season and then blew it. That's, yeah, that's way harder to take. Well, speaking of blowing it, we do have a game to discuss. Uh, Tottenham lost 3-1 to one to Brentford. Um I don't know. This was kind of a weird game because on the one hand, it sucks shit and might be the nadir of our season. But also it was maybe the best half of football we played all year. Um, I, Brian, I was very like. I was very high on the team after the first half because we played some really nice football. We probably I mean, Kane sort of scored on a direct free kick. But, like, we probably should have scored three or four times in the last, like, five minutes, if not longer, of the first half. We looked really good. Our attackers were, like, interchanging. It was some very nice football. And I thought that Brentford was kind of at the beach. And turns out I was right because they actually showed up to play a little bit in the second half. And 
you know, I think if we're being generous to Spurs, Brentford got a little lucky with some of the stuff they scored, but they were also a much better team than we were. And, you know, yeah. it just didn't work out. So uh, it was bad. It was, it, I mean, it just sort of underlined that, like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to be done by whoever's in charge of the team next year. Yeah, and I mean, you're right. The The first half was good. The attacking was good. Um, but it's hard to look at that half in isolation given just how bad we were in the second half um you know look it was great basuma came back he looked good in midfield um and like you said the attackers were interchanging danjuma got a start like he looked lively like there there were some things to take away from that first half to that that were good um but the 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 capitulation in the second half like uh, you know, it was just sloppy. It was, you know, I mean, the the third goal, I mean, I, I know the game's probably, you know, basically already out of reach by the time the third goal happens. But, like, Skip just gets caught on the ball. Like, I, I'm not even sure what he's doing, um, like, directly from a throw in. Like, I, it, it's just absolutely insane. Right. I had to check and, like, which direction are we going? this half when he got the ball. Cause it was like, where, where were you going Oliver? Yeah. And you know, I mean the second goal, I think it's the second goal. Like, you know, they basically, we get beat by a diagonal ball from deep in their half out to the wing. And the guy just outruns the left, the, the left I back. I think that was the one where Kane, like that, that was like, if you're being generous, Kane got fouled. It didn't get called, yeah. and there was like that screwed up the marking that was happening. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I you can't just count on getting those calls. Like I, I appreciate that that is a thing that happened, and yes, but like also the you know that winger shouldn't out sprint everybody on that flank, and then you know be able to find somebody in the middle for like I, I don't know. It was just you know Forster. I didn't think was very good again. Um, like. I know, you know, our friends over on the extra inch earlier in the season were like kind of singing his praises and talking about how much better than Larissi is, but like, God, he sucks. Um, you know, just like for being a big guy, like he just does not cover that much space. Like, like you know, on that second goal, he gets beat at, at, to a spot that like he really should be covering. Um, and I understand he's trying to cover the near post, but like, uh, no, yeah, you expect that to get saved. I, I mean, I, he just has no mobility. He can't get down at all. Like, if he has to like fall to one side or the other to get the ball, it's just not happening. He just takes ten minutes to hit the ground. Like, yeah, I mean, people are talking about like being happy to keep him as a backup keeper, and I don't understand what anyone. Yeah, go has find seen. another English keeper. I mean, he had his moments this year, and I think it was largely yeah. down to Larice just fell off such a cliff, probably largely due to injury, but it's, you know, like, it, it, yeah, we need to do something better next year. Yeah. I think it was nice that we had, like, kind of new villains in the back line. Like, lately, it's been, like, Poro and Romero, who've been scapegoats to Dyer until he got dropped, and, you know, it was, like, Longley and Ben Davis and Fraser Forster who were just fucked up on individual errors and got beat. Like, it's just nice that, you know, we get to spread that around and it's well, not just I think it's not just one guy who's like Mason talks Mason talked a little bit about um you know how in the first half we were able to you know we just weren't we didn't have the legs to keep this up all game cuz we played one way all season now we're trying to play another and I guess that's what is frustrating me a little bit cuz obviously I would like to see this team play some front foot football I would like to see that happen more often but like part of the reason I thought it made some sense to put Stellini in charge which I was clearly wrong about, but the lo- logic that I thought they were following was like, okay, well, it's too late to like radically alter what this team is doing. So we're just going to have to try and do a version of what Conte had trained for the, like we got to get through the end of the season and then next year we can you know do what we got to do. And I think Mason has been a little more responsible with that than Stellini was like, you know, Stellini going to that back four was just, you know, total suicide, but it's still like, I mean, we got burned in this game because this was just not a team equipped to handle a press like that. And, you know, they didn't have the legs for that. And I, and I appreciate that's not entirely Mason's fault, but I just feel like we aren't being realistic about what we can do with this team right now. 
so I I understand Mason's point there, uh, but what I will say is that he, he has the ability to use subs to make sure that the guys that he needs to do pressing or keep up the intensity are fresh, right? So, like, he could have subbed out Oliver Skip at any point or or a Basuma who, while he played pretty well for, for a lot of the game, is just coming back to full fitness. Like, we have midfielders on the bench. Like, Saar is a guy that exists. And I, 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 I know we probably sound like a broken record because I feel like we say this every week, but it's just like Skip is out there doing God knows what and, and fucking up the press and giving the ball away. And like, let's play a midfielder. Like, come on guys. And, you know, subbing on, uh, you know, Parasitch for Davies, like you're not getting more legs out there with that substitution. Like maybe he's a little fresher, but like, he he just his legs aren't there at all, and, and you know, I mean the first sub was Lucas for all whatever else Mason's doing. Yeah. It's interesting, like straight to the hay for that. Like I don't yeah. care, like no excuses. But I think you're right. Like we had the opportunity at 60 minutes. We've gone down. We conceded two quick goals. Like okay, it's early in the second half. Respond. Bring on Poro and Richarlison, Perisic. I don't care, and like make a whole line change and get fresh legs out there and try and like recapture some of what you had. And then instead he waited another 10 minutes to make a couple more changes. And then another 10 minutes. It's just like the problem's there. It's already happened. Like we're not going to get back into the game playing the same way. You have five subs. You recognize that fitness is an issue to execute the style of play you're trying to impose. And I don't begrudge him trying to do that, but like recognize the limitations of that. And react appropriately and quickly. You know, so, like, Lucas wants to get, like, you want to give Lucas his, like, sort no, of ceremonial. No, no, no. What I'm saying is you want to make sure Lucas gets on the pitch to get, like, applauded by fans. You can do that in stoppage time. You can do that late in the match if you have to. Like, there's no excuse for putting him on as early as, as he did. Like, just absolutely none. You know, like, we've seen this, I don't know. Like, Lucas just hypnotizes managers. He's like, oh, well, he's got, he'll... He'll put in effort and he'll do what I tell him. Well, like, yeah, that's great, but he's been bad, like, at a minimum, been bad for a few years. If he hasn't been bad longer than that, it's just, you know, you got Richarlison on the bench, like you said. We got Poro. We got other guys. If you need legs on Sar, like, all these guys should be getting on before Lucas. And well, and I mean, it's frustrating too to watch us do like single substitutions in you know the 66th and 75th minute, and it's just like. We've got three sub windows, Ryan, and you're wasting them by doing these single subs. Like you have to now we're in an era where you have to make double changes at times. Like, you know, how many games have we actually used all five substitutes this season? I, I would bet that Conte probably did it. Three or four times. Uh, I think Stellini maybe did it a little bit more, but I'm not even sure Mason has really done it like you know, all of our managers this year have been so bad at utilizing our bench, at utilizing the sub windows, at, at, at you know, finding ways to affect and change the game. Like like Ben said, you know, your first sub is Lucas. Like that's that's not going to change things for the better for you. That's not that's not getting you anywhere. Like if your first sub is Richarlison and Poro, like, all right, I see what we're doing here. Like now we're going to cross the ball in. We're going to hope Richarlison is on the far post. We're going to, we're going to try some shit, but like, what was the plan with Lucas? He'll dribble at people and then lose the ball. Yeah. Great. He'll, he'll good, put good in plan. effort and he'll do what I tell him. Like it's the same plan. There always is with Lucas and it never works. So, I mean, but I don't know. I'm just glad, like, we got a question from one of our listeners, like, what are you looking for in the last game of the season? And, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm just trying to get out alive. I don't really care. I guess I'd like some guys like Saar, some guys like Poro, who are Pedro Poro, who are going to be here next year to get some minutes. But, like, like frankly, like, this is just – let's just get out alive with minimal embarrassment. I'd like to win. 
But, like, this is just, like, what the fuck are we doing at this point? Like, it's been dreadful, like, ever since the World Cup, in one way or another. And, you know, I just wanted to end. Like, I mean, frankly, a lot of Spurs fans are getting really mad about, like, where the team is right now. And I understand that. But for me, it's just, like, like there at least needs to be some recommend, re- realization among the Spurs hierarchy that, like, this isn't working, this hasn't been working, and they're moving on. And I just... You know, I just want to buy into slot or whoever, you know, hopefully we're not hiring a Fonseca or a Nuno or something. But, you know, I just want like the next guy to come along or the next system to come along. I just want like something I can dream on or hope on a little bit because there's just nothing here right now. I mean, it's like there's some players to like. There's guys who will probably, you know, if the next manager, if the next regime is any good, that will probably be a part of that. But like at this point, like, let's just fucking get out of the season with as little embarrassment as possible. I'm tired of it. Yeah, I mean, you know. I would just like this season to be over. Like, can we, if we, can we forfeit the next game? Like, do we just, we'll just be, you know what? You you guys get the three nil win and we'll just go home. Um, I, you know, there, there's, unless we were for whatever reason, just going to play like all of the Academy kids in the game or something like there's nothing about this last game that, that I want to see. Like, I'll probably watch the relegation games instead of this. Like, this is, it's just not. We're in one of the relegation games, Brian. We have the opportunity to save Leeds United. I'm sure we will. That could be our lasting contribution. The certainty, the certainty of saving Leeds United. Yeah, Yeah, we have, we have relegation in our, in our hands. Yeah, I'm sure we'll do the least interesting thing possible and like scuffle to a nil-nil draw or something. Um, I don't know, man. I just. I'm like Greg. Like let, let's let's dream on something. Let let's have something to look at for the future. Um, but this this isn't it right now. So, jeez. Um, I mean, it's been a disaster, and the real failure of it to me has been the inability to secure some European football. And which you know we can still do. Like I think we've got like a thirty something percent chance of getting the Conference League. Which do you guys want that though? Like you know, it probably makes roster construction a little easier. I don't like until you get to the semifinals, like who cares? But um, I'm sure if Ryan was here, he'd yell about like coefficients or something. And how yeah, I mean, like it is important in the like having a good coefficient for pot seating in the Champions League is important, but like I don't care about what pot we're going to be in the Champions League as much as I care about getting into the Champions League. And the fact is, is not being in the European Conference League makes that prospect easier. And so, fuck it, honestly. And I think, frankly, I like, I do enjoy, I've always been a big Europa League fan. I, I'm, you know, I've never turned my nose up at a competition and I don't honestly even at the Conference League. But from a roster standpoint, like, you can't carry as deep a squad when you don't have European competition. It's just there's not enough minutes to go around. And, like, we're in such a position where we have so much fat to trim and, you know, some key places to sign. I don't want us, like, hanging on to dead weight, being like, well, someone's got to play in fucking Kazakhstan next week. Uh, we might as well, you know, keep Tanganga around another year. Like, we don't need to be fucking doing that. We need to be ruthless with the squad this summer well, and i don't want any distractions keep like keeping us from that task yeah and it, it's interesting because if you if you look at some of the reporting for next year i mean there's people talking about like it's going to be a pretty ruthless teardown which yeah, I, I mean, it's, I mean it's, this team needs whether we're in europe or not i mean this team we need to start moving dudes on and i mean I, i'll believe it when i see it i mean you know there's some guys that i feel like frankly at this point we should be willing to just break contracts with you know if you can't sell Davison Sanchez which I feel like you ought to get something for him but if you can't like buy like like sorry like I just want you out of here um like it's time to get some of these guys gone you know Parasich apparently wants to leave I mean if we gotta rebuild this like it's it's time to rebuild this and if you have to gut a little deeper than you might like because there's not Europe then so be it I mean you know you can you can rebuild depth next year if that's what what it takes but I, I mean, it's there's so much dead weight on this roster that, you know, it's time to go. You know, and I don't I mean, mind carrying a guy like Eric Dyer around for another year as long as we're just not extending him. Yeah, I mean, I get, I'll, OK, I would like him to be gone, but, you know. And I mean, you know, the thing is, is people talk about, well, like, how are you going to attract top tier talent, uh, you know, with with no European football? I, I think the answer to that is with money. 
Um, you know, uh, I mean, Chelsea conference league does not make a fucking difference as far as that's concerned. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Chelsea and Liverpool have both, you know, in recent memory been able to attract, you know, good players, uh, United too, been able to attract good players just by paying them more money. So, you know, if you're, if we're worried about like, oh, well, Evan and Dika or, you know, whoever, will they want to come to Spurs if they're not in the conference league? I bet if you throw enough money at them, they sure will. Right. I mean, look at Newcastle. They spent big on like a few key guys and that was not a problem for them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they've got a lot to do. Um, and fortunately or unfortunately, it looks like we have a manager that is definitely coming in. We talked about him a little bit last week, but uh, it sure looks like by hook or by crook, Arn Slot is going to be our next manager. Um, how do you feel about that, Ben? I mean, I won't feel good about anything until I really like get the whole story about how we fucked up the Nagelsmann situation, but... Assuming that that's I like think we have the state story of play. On, on the Nogglesman situation. I mean, it seems to yeah. me like the Nogglesman situation is he either gave us a name or several names of, for a director of football, and we were like, no, we're not hiring your guys. Right, so. and I understand that part, but I want to know who those names were and who we end up with before I can say how I feel about that. Because, like, frankly, like, we have been through directors of football. Like, we turn them over as quickly as we turn over managers. If you got a guy as quickly as the authorities can convict them, (laughs) exactly, which which isn't very fast, actually, isn't unique to directors of football. Thank you, especially in Italy. Um, excuse me, Harry, much like Snoop Dogg, was innocent. So, Mm. thank you, Rosie. (laughs) Wow, that's Uh, a deep cut. Yeah, Rosie, getting out of the getting out of the wheelchair. No, so, like, yes, like, I'm going to put all that aside and just say, like, of the managerial candidates available now, uh, I think it's fine. Like, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about with him in terms of style of play, um, in terms of, you know, just sort of how quickly he was able to impose styles on uh, Alkmaar and Feyenoord in quick succession. Um, You know, obviously winning the Dutch League with, you know, a B tier team has got to be appealing to uh, the owner of a club like Spurs. Uh, But I don't know. It's also like, that's a huge jump. That's a huge jump. And like, it wasn't that long ago where we were like talking about DeBoer as a possible hire when we ended up with Pochettino. And like, I'm not saying it's that, but like there is a huge difference in league quality that we're talking about but i gotta i gotta say there is something about you were talking about nogglesman earlier and this this is maybe my hot take for this and i've seen a couple spurs journalists sort of echo this but like there's something i feel a little more comfortable about getting a guy like slot as opposed to a guy like nogglesman because i and i i would have been extremely happy with nogglesman i want to be very clear about that but and i understand his strengths as a manager but there's something i think to be said about a guy who this is not going to feel like it's beneath him. This is someone who's very ambitious, and this is the best kind of job he's going to have right now. I don't know. There's something encouraging about all that to me. And I understand exactly what you're saying about the Dutch League. It really is. You have no idea what you're getting. I mean, you could get a world-class manager out of there. Or you could get, you know, a bald fraud. It, it, it could go either way. But I think there's something good about having an ambitious up-and-comer in the job as opposed to someone who maybe feels like they're slumming it. I mean, I think one thing you can't deny about Nogglesman is what whatever else is going on there. If he waits, he's getting a better job than Spurs. Uh, you know, I mean, sooner or later, a bigger job than us is going to come open and they're going to want him for it, and he'll take it. And I don't know. There's something about having a young, ambitious person who's happy to be here that I find like it feels like a better fit to me. And I, and that, that's purely a vibes thing. I get that, but I... I agree. I, and I, and I mean, we're not I, just trying to make Harry Kane happy, which I feel like is what we've been doing with our last, like, four ma- – well, not Nuno, but, you know, other than him, right. all of our other managerial hires since Poach left. And, look, I mean, we talked this weeks ago, and I, you know, was very much of that opinion that, like, we don't want another Conte who's, like, you know, deigns to be here and isn't dying to be here, to quote uh, Demore's Prada. Uh, <laughs> but I do think Nagelsmann is – still a young and ambitious manager. And the fact that he has better jobs waiting in the wings in the future is not 
an unknown fact to him. And the fact that he was still interested in coming here, despite that, um, kind of ameliorated a lot of those concerns for me with him specifically. But whatever, it's not it's not going to happen. So, you know, we made a, an extra point earlier this week to be like, no, 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 no. We really don't want Nagelsmann. We promise. So, you know, I'm not going to let that, like, color my thinking. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of opportunity to pretend like this is Pochettino 2.0. And I think that's really what everyone wants. And until that proves to be not the case, um, yeah, I'm, I'm prepared to get excited about it. Yeah. I mean, with, <clears throat> excuse me, if Knucklesman is like officially off the table, then the, the group of coaches that are, are still being seriously linked with us, I think Schlott is the most, interesting um i mean luis enrique has probably the better pedigree but like i don't know do i don't know i don't know that we want that like i i just don't and and like you guys talked about is he another kind of guy who is feeling like he's slumming it at spurs or whatever i i I don't know i i think you know there's there's a lot to like about him i mean the athletic did a great article about where people and players are talking about him like how he's very good at, at um, you know, communicating his ideas to players and getting them to buy in. And I think that's one of the things that we all miss most about Pochettino is how bought in everybody felt. Like over the last few years, it's really just kind of felt like players were buying in when, you know, when the guy first walked in the door and then when the media started asking questions of the manager, like, oh, we really like playing for Conte or Jose or Nuno. And like, you know, he's he's got great ideas and we're working hard and blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like with Schlott that like the players actually do respect him and that he he does kind of foster the sort of environment that that we had when Pochettino was here. And, and, and I think you know, maybe there are other managers out there that can do that, but he's the one that that it seems most readily apparent with and the one that I think we as fans would also like buy into hardest right away because because there's like that hope aspect like Greg was talking about earlier. I want to dream on something. So in our heads, we can take this man who just won the Dutch title with with Feyenoord, a team that doesn't win it, and they beat, they overcame a 29-point gap to Ajax, and now he's going to manage Spurs, and we're going to overcome a 30-point gap, and we're going to, you know, like, it's easy to look at it and go, I can see how this works well. Well, and you look at him and what he did at Feyenoord, and again, I'm not going to pretend I've watched a lot of his teams at Feyenoord, so I'm not saying it from a tactical perspective, but, you know, the way that he is, like, getting something out of players who aren't, hugely heralded that we aren't going to have to go buy these finished product guys um, in the way that Conte or Mourinho or even Pochino at the end were sort of demanding that he might, you know, Oh, okay. You're going to get a Hoiberg or a SAR or a skip. And like, he's going to find ways to improve these players to, you know, develop them, which it feels like it has been a while since we've watched that happen at Spurs, even though like I, I, I'm fully aware Conte really did a great job of getting a song out of a lot of these guys last season. But even then, again, it goes back to that conversation where it's like, all right, well, shit, I'm stuck with this. Let me just make the best that I can out of it. I, what I really want are finished products. And, you know, I know a lot of Spurs fans are going to make jokes about Daniel leaving and being cheap and all that. But there is something I think that, I think we've all missed as fans of like these guys sort of coming along and growing with the team and growing with us and growing on us. And, you know, I think getting someone with slot CV certainly indicates a willingness to get back to that or a desire to get back to that. And that is something I would like to see at Spurs. It's nice to see these guys come along. Um, And, you know, some of that's born out of practicality. You know, we can't go buy some of the players that these other teams can, um, and frankly, like our attempts to do so have not really worked all that well the last few years. Frankly, our transfer policy has been pretty shitty. And I know we're overhauling that, but, you know, someone who can maybe get a song out of a flawed product is maybe what we really need. Yeah, I mean, the whole recruitment aspect, I think, has been kind of put in the spotlight this week as well. And we've talked a lot about what the director of football is. 
um, having been humiliated by Brentford um, this weekend and, and Brighton sort of just generally across the season, you know, we've had reports that Daniel Levy is now eyeing a similar kind of gambler centric data model focus of recruitment to be a club like them, you know, and, and leverage those sort of market inefficiencies the way they do. Um, and I'm interested and curious to see how that might play out and how a guy like slot could deal with guys like that. I think it's tricky when you're at Spurs level to run a recruitment strategy, signing like 8 million pound players from, you know, South America and Eastern Europe and Japan and expecting them to be like top four title contending kind of players. Um, you know, it's a really different ball game to try and find the right 30, 40, 50 million pound player who's not, sorry, Richarlison, I love you, but who's not like Richarlison, but like someone who's actually going to turn out to be Hungman's son or Harry Kane or whatever. Um, and so I'm not sure what that recruitment's going to look like, but it is encouraging to say we're not going to just maybe plunk down a boatload of money on the most obvious guy at a mid-level Premier League club and call it a day. And that slot is a guy who seems like comfortable working with players like that and isn't going to be mad that it's, you know, he's not getting Bastoni or whatever. I am a little bit disappointed that the the slot stuff is taking the lead over what we're doing in terms of the backroom and the director of football. Like, I don't want us to end up in a situation where we have this uh, manager that likes to play attacking football and then we hire some, I don't know, Italian guy who's like, we should play defense first. And like, we just don't, there's not any sort of synergy there. Um, I think that's my big concern. Uh, and, and, you know, while I agree with Ben that, you know, the, the signs that we're willing to invest in data analytics and sort of the, the looking at what the people on the betting side are doing and that sort of stuff, like that's great, but it's also like, why didn't we do that six years ago, five years ago? You know, like, I know this season has been bad, Daniel, but like, maybe you should have considered, you know, moving your club into the modern era a, a little bit sooner. So, I mean, while I am glad that we're finally doing that, I'm hesitant to give them like pats on the back for finally. I mean, I don't, like, again, I, we don't need to pat anyone on the back for this. It's like, I just, like, I guess that's where I'm, where I kind of am. It's like, I'm not interested in relitigating it. Like, the fact of the matter is Daniel Levy and Enoch aren't fucking going anywhere. And I just want to get it right from now on. Like, I mean, I, I am just as guilty as any other Spurs fan of relitigating over and over again where it went wrong and how it went wrong and yada, yada, yada. But, like, at this point, I'm just interested they get it right. I understand what you're saying about the front office thing, Brian, as an American, I think as Americans, rather, I think we have a stranger perspective on this. Like I've said on this podcast in recent weeks, if something like this was happening, happening at an American baseball team, for instance, and we had to put a new front office in place, I think we'd all have the kind of familiarity with at least like the types of front office people that they were going to put in or talking to as we would with managerial candidates. Uh, I, I don't know if the lack of reporting on this is down to how Spurs are handling it or the fact that, frankly, I, I don't think UK or European journalists are accustomed to reporting on front office hires. So unless you're talking to Paul Mitchell or someone or Michael Edwards or someone from Citigroup, like I just think, A, they're not as plugged into that world as they are with the managerial world and the agents that sort of hover around there and B, you know, I just don't think they understand it as much. So I, I don't know how to I, – I, I'm not confident in how to read the reporting on our front office. I don't entirely agree with that. Like, I think it is increasingly clear. You know, England is going through a big transition, I think, from a, a country and a league that did not really employ directors of football or reluctant to – you know, allow that model to take root. But in the last like five years or so, it's like very common. There's been a lot of talk about clubs like Brighton and Brentford and, you know, the Liverpool committee. And, you know, like these operations are not like totally opaque anymore. And I think 
you know, especially in the wake of the Paratici saga, every journalist covering Spurs understands that this is a, a search that we're going through and like a key concern to the club and to the fans. So I, I get that it's like, it's not the same as like a managerial hire. It's not as sexy. It's not as obvious. It's not as, you know, maybe plugged into their network of, of contacts as, you know, I don't like who reps a director of football is even the same people is even the same conversations. Who knows? You know, I think that's the thing that like, maybe you're right. That's not as like easy for them to like get the information about, but like we are getting consistent reporting and we are seeing names and, consistent names being repeated and you know reports of mystery box candidates that like are not the name candidates like it's there it's happening and the thing of the reporting suggests is like we're kind of conducting both searches in tandem and just like checking one against the other and saying hey slot what do you think of these guys hey potential director of football what do you think of these managers and like hoping that's going to sync up and you know, maybe because we've dropped the ball in our process along the way that that tandem situation makes the most sense for getting it all done by the time the season ends. But it still would have been good to get that kind of in order. Yes. I mean, I think there, there's, there's two things that are both true, which is we should hire a director of football before we hire a manager. So they have some or hopefully a lot of say in that process. And also, with what we did with Paratici, I'm not sure we had the time for that. Um, you know, where if you want to hire a good managerial candidate, you know, like someone that you want actually running this team, you know, unless you could hire a director of football who just has like a Pep Guardiola at the very beginning of their managerial journey sitting in their back pocket, you know, if you want to hire a Luis Enrique or an Aaron Slot or a Julian Nagelsman or I don't know, whoever um, else that we're talking, or even a Dazar or something like that. I don't think Spurs Spurs put themselves in a situation they could not afford to do this in the right order. There had to be some sort of parallel process involved. And, you know, you hope that, you know, like you said, Ben, like there's some conversation going on here. Like, what do you think about these candidates? You know, hey, Arn, what do you think about working for someone who's thinking like this? You hope there's some coordination there, but I'm, I'm not sure they've put themselves in a situation where, you know, let's assume like the day they fire Paratici, they Paratici resign. They're like, okay, we're gonna do this the right way. I don't think they had time to do it the right way at that point. Yeah. So like our big summer of process is already starting from the standpoint of the process is broken and we're trying to kind of fix it on the fly and we might get it right. Like it's not impossible. We luck into a decent process once it's all shaken out. It's just nothing this this team has done as an organization over the last several years has earned that benefit of the doubt. So it's easy to be skeptical and it's easy to be cynical. And for those of us on this podcast, that's kind of our default position anyway. Um, but, you know, they are naming interesting names. The candidates on the managerial shortlist have been, you know, it's not like the years of like, we're talking about Brendan Rodgers and Chris Hutton and, you know, like that's our list. Like we seem to be looking in right places. So who knows? We might not be terrible. It is funny. Does it seem like DeZarby is not a serious candidate for Spurs because he lost his mind in a game against us? Is that, is that, I mean, it's probably, is it, is that not that? Or is it, does it just feel that way to me? That was certainly the narrative at the time, right? It was like he melted down on the pitch, and that was the end of that conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that Brighton are better than us and are well well run in a way that we are not is also kind of like, well, why would he even leave? Well, that's what they said about big Brendan Rodgers, and look where he fucking is now. So, you know. Right, enjoying a severance package. I mean, again, I think if, if you're Spurs and you just decide we like slot better, I mean, there's, you know, Slot's not having meltdowns on the sideline of the pit uh, of games. He's not, you know, he has a very good record in the in the Dutch league. He has a pretty impressive record for a Dutch team in Europe. Uh, and, you know, there's reasons, there's rational reasons you might just decide we would rather hire this guy than that guy. But I feel like if that had happened against, like, Aston Villa, <laughs> we might, you know, it might have been more of a conversation. 
What's oh, that, Brian? Muted. What's that, Brian? Uh, you know, I had a lot of insightful things to say, and um, you know, I hadn't talked for a while, so I just decided I'd jump <laughs> really? in. Because it looked like you were talking for a while. No, I don't. That doesn't <laughs> sound right. I feel like I would know if I was talking. Mm. Uh, can argue with that. Yeah, weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Um, I don't. What was now? I've lost all of my. What about Zarbi versus uh, Slot? Yeah, I mean, so the thing with Deserby is at least you can look at it and say, you know, this is Premier League experience, right? Um, and with with Schlott, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, that team was really good in, in the Netherlands, and then you're trying to look at, you know, comparable analogs. I get you, you, you favorably, you're going to look at Ten Hag and say, look, Ten Hag made the switch from Ajax to Manchester United, and like, yeah, it took a little while for him to get his feet under him, but like... He's bald, too. Yeah, also bald. Um, you know, so so. Uh, but there's Europe. I mean, more seriously, there is. Sure. I mean, there's there's a there's a European sample size, which might not matter next year, but you know, yeah. that is something to draw off of. Yeah, no, but I I think you know the the problem is is that you know a lot of your other examples of what does a successful coach in Holland who makes the transition to the Premier League look like are like. Frank DeBoer and Martin Yole and, you know, those sorts of guys. And, like, Martin Yole was great, but, like, he's not... Also bald. Yes, also bald. Um, but he was not what you would want for a Spurs manager right now, you know? So, I don't know. I, I, I think no matter what we do, there's now no longer, like, that slam dunk, home run, like, whatever other mixed metaphor I can come up with. Like, there's not that guy where you can just look at it and everybody goes, yes, this is perfect. This will obviously work. Um, and and so you're just kind of looking at what's the next best thing. And and I don't know. I think we would all probably be pretty happy with, you know, a handful of these guys. I mean, and, you know, again, you want to be a skeptic about Desarby. He, It's been a year. Less than a year, frankly. Um, I think there's, you know, he's still an impressive candidate, but I don't know. I, I'm encouraged that we're hiring someone who is, you know, like like you said, Ben, like is this is a more impressive series of candidates than we had a couple of years ago, and I'm encouraged that we're hiring someone who doesn't seem to be tailored tailor made to impress Harry Kane. Um, you know, if Spurs are really serious about you know starting over. This seems like the kind of manager you would hire to do that. Um, you know, there's a lot to like there and hopefully, you know, we get a front office, you know, that is, you know, focused on data and being smart and, you know, going to try and build things the right way. We'll see. Yeah. Oh, that sounds nice. It's nice to hit a reset button. Finally, like, you know, we've been just clinging to a lot for the last four years and he definitely feels like a clean break kind of hire, if nothing else. Yeah, I think in a way that I thought we would get after Burrito. Right. So, like, at what point during this summer, Greg, do you think you will believe that we will win the league? Is it is it going to be before Dude. or after Dude. we sell Harry Kane? Oh, I don't know. That's going to be a weird conversation. I'm very... I'm very, I, I fall down in a different way on Harry Kane than I think a lot of my Spurs fan friends do. Cause I don't know. Like I understand that you probably ought to get him out of here and get what money you can for him and start to rebuild the team. But like, I mean, if he wants to stick around, there's a certain part of me, like you get a player like that. There's, there's just a part of me that's romantic. And it's like, you, you know, you, you should want him to stay around. You should want him to be a part of it. You, that guy should play every meaningful minute of his career for Tottenham. And that's probably not how it's going to work out. Uh, I would like it to, you know, if he bought into, you know, whatever slot selling, I think that would be great. Um, you know, I don't know how that's going to affect, you know, this sort of high energy system that slot apparently runs, but you know, I'd like, for, yeah, I'd like for it to, I'd like for him to find a way to stay. I, I, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. It probably would be, he would probably fall off a cliff while we're still paying him 400,000 a week or whatever. Uh, I don't know, but I, I don't know. Like, Brian, going back to what you said, like, I, I'm just happy to, like, have a guy that I can imagine positive about. Like, right now, I'm just, like, thinking maybe we'll win a game. You know, like, maybe we won't embarrass ourselves. Maybe Basuma will have a good match. Like, I just, I want to get back to, like, a team that I can think 
might win something eventually. And like, you know, so, like someone who's putting down foundations or building blocks for something that's going to turn out meaningful. And just, we haven't had that for at least half a season, probably longer. Yeah. It's been a while. I, I don't know. I, I think, I, I think all this summer is about hope and, and building something like even even if we don't like do the clear out that Twitter says we should do or where, you know, we get rid of 13 guys this summer and we bring in nine more like you still have to be able to look at this and say it's building towards something. And we all kind of talked ourselves into it this summer in terms of, you know, look, we got Conte, the some of the guys he wanted, and like maybe we didn't get Bastoni, but we got some of the other guys. And and we got found out pretty quickly. And so I I just want us to like have the hope that we that we're looking for. And then to also as fans have the patience to allow whatever we build to to grow like you know uh, look we we spent the first 10 15 minutes of the podcast bagging on arsenal but like they did let arteta kind of scuffle around for a little while um with the idea that he was bringing these young players along and that this team was going to grow and develop like and now they finish second in the league so we have to be willing to do that and to accept that as fans because you know you know it's great that we put all this pressure on levy to get rid of conte and stellini and blah 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 blah, but like we can't just do this every time we have a bad run of form yeah it's going to be hard when if it takes a little while to you know because think about it like Pochino's first season, it took a little while for that to kick into gear. And, you know, think about living through this like purple and gold bullshit and, you know, Matt Law looking for every opportunity to stick the knife in. Like, I mean, it's, you know, you're right, Brian. We might, have, we need to have some patience because, like, what if the season starts the way it did for, you know, um, for United this year? It's going to, you know, it might take a little bit for this thing to get going. And, we need to be patient. Hopefully, hopefully, it's the patience will be rewarded. But I mean, I think as long as we're seeing interesting things and something new and trying something, like I think we'll give the new manager a lot of rope to sort of figure it out. But you know, if we hire, and I don't think it's going to be the case, hire a guy playing like Nuno Ball, like. I mean, it's just just not going to get any kind of grace from the fans. Like, that's going to be I over mean, before it starts. Like, so you need to I, see signs. Like, that first half we played this weekend. Like, if a new manager comes in and plays this match that we just saw, it's like, okay, that was, like, a really promising start. Some individual errors fucked us in the second half. We can work with that. Like, that's something to grow on. You know, at this point in the season, that's just, like, cool, yet another loss, what's new, you know, like, so, you know, I think we are, and even now, honestly, like, I've seen a lot of people, like, pretty, like, sanguine about that loss, and, like, pretty, like, optimistic about how well we played that first half, like, I think we're prepared to be charitable if we see the team trying to do, like, fun attacking stuff, and I think, you know, obviously winning cures all ills, but, like, being fun is a close second, you know, and we just need that back at this club, like, desperately. And I think that's a big part of it, Ben. Like, like uh, that's a good point, because it's not like, whether or not this works, this isn't going to be, like, us looking at Nuno and, like, lying to ourselves about how he played at Valencia. Like, you know, maybe it won't work with Slot, but, like, he's probably going to go for it. Like, if, like, any sort of sampling of what he's done in the Netherlands is any indication. Like, I mean, this isn't going to be a guy who plays conservative counterattacking football. So, yeah, that would go a long way. That's a, that's a really good point that I hadn't considered. That would go a long way to making this more palatable, even if there's some struggles to start off with. But we're going to win the league. It's so. like, and, you know, this is all for nothing because we're recording on Tuesday night. By tomorrow, we're going to find out that he did something weird in a job interview, and that's going to be the end of that. Well, he's Dutch, so. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's already over. 
Uh, we have a few questions from our listeners. Uh, Tottenham makes me cry once that going off of the, your point, Brian, he, he wants to know what are your summer plans so you can come back ready for another season? Um, my summer plans, I think what I will do is get really into, um, another sport that makes no sense. And I like cricket or I don't know, uh, hurling or something, uh, Canadian football. So it's another good one. Um, and, um, you know, pick a team that's, a, a kind of middle of the pack, but could become a big team and become a fan of them so I can get my heart broken for the next two months. Ben, how, how are you going to gird yourself over the summer? Uh, I'm going on a scouting tour of uh, some of these English clubs' visits to the U.S. I'm going to watch Newcastle play on Chelsea, uh, play against Chelsea in Atlanta, so I can root for Atlanta legend Miguel Almiron. Uh, I feel really gross about sports watching. It's, I was about to say, it's going to be really weird rooting for an earthquake when you're in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. And then we're going to L.A. this summer, and it happens to overlap with Arsenal versus Barcelona. And I'm getting fucking dragged to that. So Wow, I'm that's going to be... Root for a, a second earthquake. In a place where it's much more likely to happen, let's be honest. <laughs> um, and yeah, I would be happy to be buried under the rubble. <laughs> took Arsenal and Barcelona out with me. Yeah, well, you know, you might want to rethink that because, you know, Barcelona, fa- I don't know if you knew this, but they were a the famous bulwark against fascism. So I think, they, you know, you should give them more of the benefit of the doubt. Mm, interesting, interesting. I don't know I'll if any of the fans have ever told you about this, but. Uh, yeah, I think they're they're more than a club. They're they're revolutionaries. That's that's exactly. They're a revolutionary uh, source of capital. You know, yeah. they, they're really transforming the way football works. Uh, yeah, as for me, I, I don't know. I think I'm going to follow Brian's lead and, uh, you know, just, you know, ski a lot, really, you know, try to prepare myself for next year with chemically, you know, just to, you know, just really, really delude myself as to what is possible in the world. I would suggest something that chills you out a little more. I don't think you need to be any more up. And you think you think the cardio of skiing would get me a little too up first? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think I think also just based on I don't know your personality, I don't think that you would like it. Okay. I don't know. I mean, my, my you know my wife always says I should learn how to ski, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I don't think she means that though. Definitely, um, she doesn't. You know, we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but noted new listener who has never heard the show before, which we always love to get those comments, uh, Reno Wallabout wants to know, uh, with Dyer potentially leaving the club, who is going to run uh, the team movie club once he leaves? I think it's going to get much more basic, but, um, you know, do, do you think we have any interesting cinema heads in this club? I mean, you know, Kuliszewski's probably going to put on his, like, Ingmar Bergman retrospective. I mean, that's a given. Uh but I think the rest of it is going to be, you know, Oliver Skip's Fast and the Furious corner. You, you think Oliver Skip's not going to pick Paddington? Like, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a Harry Kane pick. Longley is definitely into like French New Wave, though. Like, right? Or, or maybe Longley is into m- movies that he can describe as artsy, but have lots of women taking their top off. So. Yeah. I guess French movies. Um, yeah. Anything with Leia Sado in them, I guess. But yeah, what's that? What's that one Angelina Jolie movie where she plays the um, the supermodel or whatever? You have to narrow that one down, Brian. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what it's Hackers. called. Hackers. Huh? I don't remember. <laughs> you know, this is. I saw the movie once in college. I'm not going to remember it. I don't. I, and I'm not going to be able to even sufficiently describe it for you guys to remember it. So I don't even know why I spoke. Uh, Gia, I think is the movie you're talking about. I think that is exactly the movie <laughs> I was talking about. But they should show hackers. You, you don't think uh, you don't think where Charleston's going to take it over and just show them like really depressing documentaries about like you know rainforest deforestation? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Brett. Oh wow, look at that. <laughs> yeah, I saved you. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? I can't think of a better answer for this podcast. 
Uh, oh, this is an important one from Jared Restivo. Uh, you know, Ben, we'll we'll start with you on this. What is the dream blunt rotation at Spurs? Oh man, um, I think Kulishevsky and Romero are both a given. They just are fun and whatever. And then you also need like a weirdo like. Like Harry Kane. You don't think Kulishevsky fills like the weirdo, or do you mean like a strange choice for the rotation? Yeah, like a guy who's like never smoked before, or like Lucas only does it in like limited situations and is like really like amped to be high and like really annoying about like how weird he feels. And like it's annoying to have that guy there, but if you have the right crowd, then it's funny how annoying that guy is. So who is that guy? I think that's, I mean, it's always easy to go to Harry Kane as, like, the obvious answer for that sort of thing. Buzzing. Um, but I think Ben Davis might be a good fit. Yeah, Skip. I think Skip. It's got to be Skip, right? I don't know. Skip does know. the I, hard stuff. I think, yeah. <laughs> Skip's, Skip's, Skip's got the elastic around his arm in the back. He's he's found Tom Carroll's stash. Yeah. Like one academy midfield graduate just passes it on to the next one. He's he's just got he's just got a needle in his arm while he's getting dragons tattooed on his chest like yeah. Tom Carroll. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean I think Ben nailed it. Like you want like the interesting charismatic guys and then you want one guy who is um just kind of like he's there because he's your friend, but like you're He's not really sure why he's there, but he's trying really hard to fit in. Pedro Poro. No, I think Pedro would be fine. Uh, I I think Ben's right though. Ben Davies would be the like interesting in that last role. Like you know he's he's apparently he's very well read, or he he just reads books, which makes him well read for a footballer. Um, and like I don't know, I'm sure I I'd like to hear about uh, you know what he thinks about. I don't know, Oliver Cromwell, well, once he's stoned. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it'd be... I don't know, do man, that was the first, first person I could think, think of. Who do we think has the strongest opinions about Oliver Cromwell on Spurs? Harry Kane? Yeah. Oliver I, I don't think Harry Kane knows who Oliver Cromwell is. <laughs> Oliver Skip. Oliver Skip has, like, hair that looks like someone who had known Oliver Cromwell, so, you know, I think... I think I think Oliver Skit would have opinions on the Glorious Revolution and all that. Sure. I mean, are you are you suggesting that you know maybe Oliver Skip is a little bit like you know Britain first and like yeah no UKIP, not not even no I'm just he's, he's Britain British like, now that sort of stuff I mean I don't face I think, that looks like it has an opinion on Oliver Cromwell. look we've established who I am in the blunt rotation with the way this conversation's going so sure sure you surely are. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Um, as as we pass it around, Brian, uh, do you have any final thoughts? Nope, but you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. As a man who has been trained. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspurs. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. And don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Brian... For Ben, and of course for Brett Rainbow, who I think we would also put in our blunt rotation. I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.